Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Every week I try to bring what represents our church into the presence of God. I say, God, would you please speak to your people? And so today as I was praying, I think uh, the one thing I've heard from every one of you that I've met with is we would all agree, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, that America needs change. Is that a trick question? That's a loaded question. I think, yeah, I think America, I think we're all being honest. We would say, you know, there's some things I wish would change in California. I'm not going to go into those details because I think everyone's list might look a little different. But I think we could agree on one thing, that there's something in the world that isn't the way it could be. That there's actually something better than we currently have. And I want to talk to you today on the subject matter of arising transformed. I believe that God wants us in 2021 as his people to rise up and to be transformed. That transform means change. The word in the actual Greek vernacular is the word metamorpho. It's in the Bible four times. It's when Jesus was on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration and his clothes started getting bleached out. And his face started shining like the sun. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, don't look at him. Don't look at the light. And he transformed in front of them. The word is metamorpho. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the word metamorpho. It's the word where we get metamorphosis. The idea of God, when it comes to transformation, It's not caterpillars turning into caterpillars. It's caterpillars encountering him turning into butterflies. And as I prayed this week, I felt like there's many of you crawling that God has called you to fly. Crawling in arguments on social media. Crawling in debates. Crawling in hate. Crawling in rage. Crawling in hopelessness. And I want you to know today that regardless of what's happening in the world, God's people can still fly. Three people, if you're watching online, believe that statement, but I don't care. I'm not preaching those. I'm preaching to everybody else. Today, I want to talk to you today about being transformed. Exodus chapter uh, 34, if you're there, say I'm there. I want to wish Mackenzie Nelson's birthday, I believe, is today. Happy birthday, wherever you are. We love you. Happy birthday. Uh, if you got your Bible, though, Exodus chapter 34, verse, verse 29, it says, Now it was so when Moses came down from the Mount of Sinai, someone say Mount Sinai, This is the second time he went up. The first time he got the Ten Commandments. If you know the story, Exodus, it says the few chapters before that he went up on the mountain for 40 days, fasting, encountered God. The finger of God wrote Ten Commandments. God said, you better get down before I spank those people. So he went down the mountain. He sees them worshiping a gold calf. And uh, Moses loses his cool. He drops the tablets. They break. They basically have this dilemma that that Moses intercedes. He prays that God would not annihilate the nation. And this is crazy. Moses' prayer changed God's mind. I believe prayer today can still change God's mind. Good spot for an amen right there. I believe there's things that God would do, could do, and wants to do in California, but he needs someone to agree with him. And I want to just challenge, if you go to this church, we're we're not going to be those that curse California. We're going to call it the Golden State. The state's not there yet, but it's in transit. Someone say with me, loading. I believe God's favor is coming on this state. It's loading, but it's coming. Come on, if you believe it, come on, hand clap and a shout. Transformed. And uh, it says that he intercedes, and basically the story goes as God spares the people, and he says, you're going into the promised land. And this is what Moses said, I will only go into that land if you promised me that your glory would go with us. So God says, all right, come on up. So he goes to Mount Sinai for the second time. He has an encounter. God passes before him. And this is what's amazing. When he met with God, this is where it's really interesting. We pick up reading after 80 days of praying and fasting, which, by the way, I can't imagine an 80-day fast. I do a seven-day Daniel fast, and I'm seeing food in clouds and bushes, hot dogs in the bush. 80 days. You ready? 80 days of fasting. He comes down with two tablets in his hand, a testimony, where in his hands he came down from the mountain. 
Moses did not know that after he met with God, his skin of his face was shining while he talked with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, his skin of his face shone, shined. I don't know why it says shone there. It's tough. And they were afraid to come near him. Say with me. They were afraid. All of his friends were scared at how God changed him. And I believe some of you, when you have an authentic encounter with God, he'll actually change you in such a marvelous way that your friends that used to lead you into darkness will be scared by the light that flows out of your life. They were afraid of him. And it says afterwards, he, he, he continued to talk to them and to the congregation, return to them. And afterwards, the children of Israel came near and he gave them all the instructions, all of the commandments that the Lord had spoken to him on the mountain. When he finished speaking to them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil when he came out and would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. Now let's go real fast. This is going to be a little bit more dense than normal on a a Sunday. But go to this awesome passage that's rich in in wisdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 7 to verse 18 real quickly. This is Paul explaining, watch me, Paul's explaining what we just read about in Exodus 34. So Exodus 34 is before Jesus came, so all of humanity was under the law. After Jesus came, we're all under a new covenant of grace. Here's how grace changes Moses' experience. Watch what it says. But the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. There was a moment of glory, right? And the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was under the old covenant. So the glory was a fading, passing glory. The glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Holy Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the law that had condemnation had glory on Moses, the ministry of righteousness will exceed much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away, stay with me, If the law that was passing away was glorious, what remains now under the new covenant is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such a a expectant hope, as the Amplified Version says, we use great boldness. The word boldness is the same word as courage. Say with me, courage. Say boldness. Say it again, courage. Say it again, boldness. This is what he says, because of the glory that we have access to, we, therefore, because of it, we use words and speech that are, that are full of courage and full of boldness. I love this. It's so powerful. Unlike Moses, who had to put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted on the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away only in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. You know what a veil does? It'll blind your mind, and it'll cover your heart from knowing God. Some of you today have read the Bible, but you've never encountered Jesus because of the veil. Let's look at the veil here. It goes on, it says this, the veil lies in the heart. Nevertheless, when one person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled, this is the desire of God, that we live with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being, watch what it says when you behold God's glory. You don't just stare at it, just look at it. You don't just look at God's presence. It says this powerful statement. Watch what it says here. When you're looking at his glory, it says that when you do, you'll be transformed. Metamorpho, caterpillar to butterfly, into the same image in which you look upon. 
When you're in the presence of God, you will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I believe Christianity without glory is clouds without rain. And I believe that the day is coming that as we had rain yesterday, God wants to rain his presence. Don't get, don't get stuck on the church word of glory. Glory simply means manifest, tangible presence of God. And I want you to know today, this is, what, this is my thesis, and I'll pray, and we'll get started. My thesis this morning is, is change only occurs. Change only occurs. Let's say it this way. We transform the world only as the Holy Spirit transforms us. We only transform the world when the Holy Spirit transforms us. You guys ready to go? Father, I just thank you for your sweet presence. Last service, God, so many people were crying, not because they're emotional people, but because, Lord, your presence was undeniable. I ask you for the next 20, 30 minutes that you would show up in a marvelous way. I even pray right now that people would even get their phones out and share on Facebook. And I ask you that, Lord, even over the digital airways, that your presence would fill rooms. I pray you'd fill these tents. I pray that those that have never felt you would fill you. Those that have never heard your voice would hear it. And those that have never believed would begin to believe. We ask you to do something marvelous today in our midst. We pray you bless the Lakers, another championship, in Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. If you're going to pray, pray. Come on. I don't know if you've ever been transformed before by an environment. You ever feel like you changed in a moment? Felt like drastically in just one, one little millisecond of time, something inside of you changed dramatically. I remember when I first met Rochelle, I tried to talk to her, and I forgot my name. <laughs> Didn't know my birthday, couldn't tell you where I lived growing up, didn't know where I was going. I just, was, I just admired this, this presence that I was in changed me. And uh, I was thinking about how moments that I, I've changed in my life. I even thought about some of the funny moments. I remember uh, God, God reminded me of when I was in a Perth, Australia, speaking at a Youth Alive conference. And uh, I remember the, the youth pastor that was hosting me was a bodybuilder, which was fun. And uh, he wanted to take me to his gym to work out. It was the most meathead gym I've ever been to. <laughs> like, there was no one, like, no one in that gym that was not yoked out of their minds. Like, it like, pretty much was full of the original cast of the 1987 and 97 American Gladiators. <laughs> they were all working out there. Gemini, Nitro, Diamond. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. I never seen so much spandex in my whole life. People yelling, grunting, heavy metal. Not just the weights, but the music. I never heard so many, like, steroid grunts. It was a wild experience. And I'm like, bro, I don't work out. I jog just so I can eat more. The only gym I dominate is the vending machine, brother. Like, you have the wrong guy. I'm in the wrong place. But I got in this environment. I'm like, man, you guys are pulling something out of me that I don't normally have. I'm like wanting to throw some weight up. I want to yell too. Yeah. I was fired up. The environment transformed me. I'm like, man, I never performed like that at Planet Fitness. I usually just eat pizza on the treadmill there. Gosh. Atmospheres can change you. I remember being on an airplane one time. I downloaded my favorite comedian. I'm watching his brand new comedy routine. We hit turbulence before we land in Denver. Everyone's crying. I am hysterically belly laughing. People, I got a dirty look from this lady. She turned to me, she's like, how could you at such a time? People were fearful of their lives. I'm like, dude, I've been in turbulence my whole life. And I look at these people, I am hysterically laughing. And the only difference was I was in the same environment but I was engaged in a different atmosphere. I believe that what you give yourself to determines the reality of your attitude. I believe that atmospheres can actually change what you're capable of doing. Atmospheres can shift the way that you see life. 
And I, look, I love a good sporting event. I was at the Oregon Ducks game when we smoked them like a pack of Marlboro. I was, I was there. I was there at Boise State when we, we blew them up on the blue turf and LeGarrette Blunt started fighting fans. I was there. And it was, it was a joyous occasion. I was hugging strangers. I had one moment. I just completely lost my mind. I came to and I was fully embraced. And I had this thought. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. You get an atmosphere that's powerful enough, and you can almost lose fear, worry, anxiety. You can actually get in the right environment. You can actually go to a new level of strength. And look, I'm all about the great gyms, and I'm about, you know, listening and comedy, laughing, and I'm all about, man, at a good sporting event, the energy that's in that room. But there's, listen to me, nothing on earth. There is no opioid. There is no ecstasy. There is no perversion or lust that can compare to the euphoric state of the presence of God. I've tried it all. I wasn't a Christian until I was 18. I did drugs, lost my virginity in high school. Nothing could pairs. Jumping a 110-foot uh, tabletop on a snowboard, going 45 miles an hour, inverted. That adrenaline did not compare to the glory I experienced at a camp meeting in Idaho. It didn't compare. I have been addicted to the presence of God from my first encounter I've had with it. I read the word because it ushers me into his presence. People say, Mark, what's your jug of choice? I'm like, the word of God. It's not a drug. Yes, it is. I take it one line at a time. Come on. That's right, Orange County. That's right. Atmospheres are powerful. And many of you have no idea that you have never been changed into the atmosphere that God wants you to be changed in. Because what you were intended and designed to be by God, you only turn into that butterfly when you are in the cocoon of God's atmosphere. Moses came off a mountaintop in an atmosphere. You know what's crazy? When you have a God encounter, usually you have no idea that everybody else can tell the difference in you except you. Oftentimes it's evidence, and when you try to go back to what you used to be like, try to watch a movie that you used to laugh to, try to listen to music that you used to kind of jam out to, a magazine that you used to read for the articles, come for somebody. And it's amazing that your appetite seemed to change. You ever had to apologize to somebody? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, let's turn that off. I had no idea it was that crude. They must have changed the movie since I watched it when I was 17. Someone went back, it was a Disney thing, they did something weird. Didn't change the movie, but God did something in his presence that changed you. He had a way of tailoring your appetites making you more like his light, removing your, your tolerance for darkness. I'll tell you what God's presence does. It will remove your tolerance for darkness. There's something about his presence that makes you dissatisfied with darkness. I don't know why, but when I'm around dark people doing dark things, I don't really feel much. But when I get around the light of God, I start getting this, oh, like, ugh, ugh, ugh. I feel dirty. God, would you forgive me for that thought? Would you wash me from that moment? You know what I believe? It says in Psalms 42 that as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for God. Do you know why David uses, I think this is one of the most brilliant analogies in the Bible of why we pursue God. Because two reasons. Number one, when we're hungry for God, thirsty for God, he's the only one that can quench our true thirst. When you're thirsty, some of you are so thirsty and you're trying to fill it with materialism and you're trying to fill it with travel and sex and drugs and you're just thirsty and you have no idea that you'll keep on drinking because everything in this world that isn't God is salt water. And the more you drink it, the faster you will die. We live in a world that has proven this logic. So how do you know that the deer pants for the water brooks because it's thirsty? And number two, because when you actually go to the water brooks and you're a deer, you realize that you're being chased by a predator. And the predator loses your scent when you get in the water. Some of you have no idea the properties of when you engage in the presence of God, how his presence washes the darkness off of you, and that grip of sin 
can't find you because it's the water of his presence that loses the scent of hell. Some of you today, like Moses, have never maybe had an encounter with God that changed your outward appearance. Some of you say, I grew up in church, Mark. I love God. I read the Bible. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever had a moment with God that has changed fundamentally how I see the world. I believe that Moses came off that mountain a different man. It says that his face glowed. It says that everyone around him was freaked out. It says that he, he was so, so lit up that everyone around him could tell that something happened to him. I think many Christians in America today, they live with no light or little light. And most people, they can't tell the difference between you and any other religion. Are you like, what are you? Like, you like, are you this? Are you into that? Are you into this? You're like, oh, you're like all my other religious friends. That's why I love it when people come to our church. They're like, man, I've been to churches my whole life, but I've never been somewhere like this. They're, I've never cried before in an atmosphere. I've never felt like these tingles that made the back of my hair stand up. I've never even used the word, I feel the spirit, but I feel like saying, I feel the spirit. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but it's, it's right. <laughs> Do you know why Moses need, needed to meet with God? He said, God, I need your glory. If you don't meet with me, if your glory doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. Here's why, friends. He had four decades ahead of him, and the only thing that was going to keep him over the hurdles of challenges was I believe the residue of his encounter. I believe that a world that's full of challenges needs people that are committed to meeting with God's presence. I don't know how many, I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it just like I have, but how many Christian leaders have gone back on their word, have gone back on what God said, have, have changed their minds about what God's going to do with America, have thrown in the towel on the prophetic. The Bible says to wage the good warfare on words previously spoken. We don't quit when the outward experience is different than what we're believing God for. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And I believe we have a lot of fair-weathered, even in the church world, just leaders that go, well, what's popular? What's politically correct? And I believe that God is not coming back for a politically correct church. He's come back for a church that values his presence. Even when it's not popular. Yeah, I appreciate the 30% hand clap. God bless you. He was transformed and his countenance changed. Listen to me, his countenance changed. You know what You know what the world needs to see? They need to see Christians that actually have a different countenance. Divorce rates the same inside the church as outside the church. Dysfunctional rates, same inside the church as outside the church. Depression rates, the same inside the church as outside the church. My question is, what are we missing in the church that the world already has access to? It's not the lights. It's not the expensive sets, the expensive decor, the beautiful tabernacles. Do you know that when it came to ancient Israel, are you with me today? Yeah. They, they, they didn't have the beautiful buildings that everybody else had. Do you know many of you today go, Mark, look, dude, all religions are the same. They all basically, it's like some deity, you worship, there's a holy building and a holy book, and they're all the same. That's why I have the coexist sticker on my car. That makes no sense. <laughs> they're all the same. I want to tell you that they're not all the same. Yes, there is beautiful architectural buildings throughout the earth that are religious in nature. But there is only one name under heaven that fills those buildings. There's only one name that has a presence to fill the buildings today. There's only one book that you read that reads you while you read it. There's only one book that has the power to cut between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. That's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. There's only one. I don't know if I believe that. That's not politically correct. I'm telling you, Jesus is one of three things. He's a liar and the greatest liar of history. He's a deceiver and the greatest illusionist in history. Puts David Copterfield and Chris Angel to shame. He's either a deceiver, he's a liar, or he is who he claimed to be. He didn't say, I'm a prophet. Well, a lot of people say he's a prophet. A lot of world religions accredit Jesus as a prophet. Here's the problem with those world religions is Jesus said that he's not just a prophet. Yeah. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Yeah. He said crazy things like, if you want to know what the Father looks like, take a look at me. Yeah. Prophets don't talk like that. 
Some of you are like, well, I, they're all the same. Just because taxis look the same doesn't mean they go to the same place. Do you know that direction determines destinations? It's so funny that we, we, we don't tolerate that logic at airports. All those dumb airplanes, they all go to the same place. They all look the same. They have the same people flying them and serving peanuts. They're all going. They all carry the same luggage. They all, you know, they're just airplanes. They're just going where they go in the sky. But the problem is we don't believe that with airplanes. Why would you ever believe that all airplanes end up the same place? All trains go to L.A. All ships go to Sydney. No. Direction determines destination. And Jesus makes some outlandish, quite frankly, crazy statements if he's not God. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, look, Christianity can only be one of two things. It's either all important or it's not important. It's everything or it's nothing. But America's like in the middle, like, no, it's just kind of average. Like, I'll come on Sundays. and Like, it's kind of cool. Makes me feel good for 30 minutes. It's everything or it's nothing. He is who he claims to be or he's, he's a deceiver. He's fake. And I, I would tell you today, well, Mark, it, the Bible is just a fake book. If it was a fake book, answer these questions for me. Ready? Two questions for you, atheist in the room. If it's a fake book, number one, if you're ra- writing a fictitious book, why would you make women who are not even uh, accredited in the court of law, why would you make women in a man's culture the heroes of the Bible? If you're writing a fake book, let's make, I got an idea. Let's make him raise on the third day from the dead. And who should we have find him first? How about a former demon-possessed prostitute? That's so holy. That's so holy. Yeah, Mary Magdalene. Let's get the demon-possessed girl to be the first preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who does that? What guys in a man culture writes, and the ministry of Jesus was funded by affluent women? Why would you dog the male species? Because they weren't writing lies. Why, why would you be willing to die for a lie? These guys, so here's another big one. You ready? If the Bible is fake and Christianity is a farce, why would his followers be willing to, on their dying breath, never deny their faith in Jesus? Well, you know, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. Peter was crucified upside down. John was thrown into boiling oil and said, deny Jesus and we'll let you out. And he got thrown in the oil and he lifted his hands, according to Josephus, and worshiped God. In boiling oil. They had to pull him out. He wouldn't die. They had other disciples that were literally thrown to lions and attacked by wild animals in Colosseums saying, deny your faith or you will be executed. And none of these guys, not one, not one. And I'll tell you, well, why would they be willing to die? Let me tell you a little secret. This is why they were willing to die. This where you get Courage. If the guy you were following for three and a half years, you saw him die, you saw him bleed out, and then three days later, you saw him walking around and you ate breakfast with him. And then you hung out with him for 40 days. And 499 other people hung out with him too. You would believe that whatever that dude was smoking that brought him back is going to bring you back too. I'll have what he's having. And if he didn't stay dead, I'm not going to stay dead. If he rises, I rise. Not a fictitious book. And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but Christianity is not like other religions. It's alive. It has a living presence. It says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit. He is the Lord. And it says that where his Spirit is, there is liberty. You know what American Christians need today? They need liberty. We have people that know the Bible, but they don't know the Spirit. 
I can cite scriptures, but I've never been changed by them. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that liberates. We have people that believe that have never been transformed. We got people that profess Jesus, but they crawl like caterpillars. And Moses says it this way, according to Paul, is he says that the same, if you're taking notes, transform people understand five things. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the first thing that we understand is trans, if we're going to be transformed, is we have to understand, number one, that it's God's glory that changes our countenance. It's not self-help. I'm not against self-help, but I'm saying there's something better. It's called God's help. Take you a little further. And it's actually coming in this atmosphere that you say, God, it is your glory, it is your presence that changes my countenance. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you let God love you lately? When was the last time you said, God, I invite you into my mind, into my thoughts? I would actually encourage you to get in the habit that the last thing you, you think about in the evening and the first thing you think about in the morning would be God. I dare you to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. How about this? Today belongs to you. Some of you would start actually living days that you enjoyed. Some of you start doing things that were outside of your ability. Here's the truth is that our countenance, are you with me today? God's glory changes our countenance. Here's what Paul says. You ready to write some notes? Here's Paul's thesis on Moses. He said, hey, what happened to Moses in Exodus 34 is what the Holy Spirit will do for Christians today, but even greater. This is the idea of Christianity. That as sons and daughters, we can meet with our God. And when you meet with him, he will saturate you with his presence in such a way that some people will say, man, that's an uneducated idiot, but he's been with Jesus. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the most best looking. I'm, I'm close. I tell the truth up here, right? I'm kidding. I don't have some doctorate's degree. I, I, the only PhD I, I have is, is in prayer, healing, and deliverance. That's all I got. But I'll tell you this, I spent 16 years of my life in his presence. I've been addicted. I'm not saying every day I'm, I'm 24 hours a day in his presence. I'm saying that when I don't spend time with him, I get hungry. And I, I'm telling you, I got hungry. You ever been so hungry, you're like, oh my gosh, Qdoba's two miles away. I smelt a restaurant, there's tacos over here. If you get hungry enough, anything rouses your appetite. And I'll tell you, I've, I've had so much of God in my life that if I get hungry, if I get busy, I start doing too much, I'll put a new worship song on. I was singing this new song. We're going to sing it next week, Fresh Wind. I started singing this song, and just singing the song, it was like I started getting teary-eyed because I could feel his presence. Mark, if you don't read your Bible, are you going to go to hell? No. What should happen? You should get hungry. If you don't have a devotional time with God, what should happen? You should get hungry. We have people that are like, well, I don't like spending time. I'm too busy. That's an inconvenience. Let me tell you what's an inconvenience. You not experiencing God. If you're too busy for God, friend, you're too busy. Come on, can I get an amen to that? You can give me a Baptist head nod right there, or a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. Give me something. I'm telling you, if you're too busy to spend time with God, you're too busy. I dare you to put some worship music on. I dare you to say, God, you're my barber today. Fade me up. God, you're my dentist, remove my cavities. God, you're my cardiologist, remove the cancer in my heart. You're my neurologist, change my brain. And I dare you, when you go into the presence of God, to give him permission to wash you. Because if you let him convict you, you know what will happen? You'll start filling his glory. Moses had a glory that filled him, and his friends saw it. What happened to Moses happens to us. Say it again. What happens to Moses happens to us. Can I say it again? What happens to Moses even greater happens to us and here's what I know is that he says this that what happened to Moses will happen to you that God's glory his presence it'll stick to you I'm telling you guys if you'll just spend 10 20 30 minutes with God put some music on just say God I, I honor you I worship you fill me up how many want to be full of the Holy Spirit here's the problem you don't live full unless you spend time filling up when was your last fill-up? When was your last fill-up? You get an electric car, right? You can't stop at a gas station. You better plan ahead of time. I need to charge this thing. 
And some of you, you need to plan ahead of your week and go, God, I have a busy week. I am too busy not to pray. Can you write these things down? Transform people not only realize they change in the, in the God's glory, it changes their countenance. They understand, number two, that we're called to speak from his presence with courage and boldness. I say this all the time. We have a bunch of scared people in America. Where does courage come from? The presence of God. Write it in your notes. Courage is manufactured in the presence of God. And if you're lacking courage, if you're lacking boldness, I don't care if you're an introvert, an extrovert, or any kind of vert, or a vert ramp. Listen to me. God called you to live bold, to live courageous. We are not fearful people. We don't deal with tragedy like everybody else deals with it. We don't deal with stress like everybody else deals with it. We don't deal with eternity like everybody else deals with it. I don't cry the same tears that you cry at a funeral because I have a hope that's eternal. Christians don't live without courage. We live with courage. We're not like those that have no hope in this world. I wish I could remind some people today that his presence breeds courage. And I feel like the tone of the church world, even many church leaders, is scared. It's timid. It's passive. It's complaining. It's whining. It's, well, I don't know. I don't know if things are going to get, I think things might get worse. I don't know. I, I don't know if we like what's going on. I, I don't, I, I think courage is in the tone of those that know their God. Daniel eleven thirty two says that those who know their God will be strong and they will do great exploits. Where are the strong Christians doing great exploits? And maybe there's a lack of them because there's a lack of those that don't know their God. Knowing God is the precursor of being strong. And we have a bunch of weak Christians because they don't know who their God is. Listen to me, if your dad was a multi-billionaire, you would not walk into a car lot timid. You'd walk into any car lot going, I, don't, I own this lot. I'll buy every car I want to buy. You know who my dad is? You might not respect me, but do you know who my dad is? I might not dress like I can afford this car, but do you know who my dad is? You have a heavenly father. It says that, that he gives all things that pertain to life. All things that pertain to godliness. He'll give you an authority to break the, anoint, break the yoke with his anointing of depression. Call me old-fashioned. Call me old-school. Please, call me what you want to call me. I still believe in a God that can heal. Here's the problem with Christianity that doesn't have miracles. It requires zero faith. And Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. So how is God pleased with a Christianity that goes, well, God could get me to heaven, but that's about it. Come on, Eeyore. Get out of here. We need some people that still believe God. We need some people that still call down His presence. Invite His Spirit. Come on, if you're going to clap, give Him a good hand clap today. I'm telling you that God's called us to speak with boldness. Number three, veils still exist. And I believe that transformed people realize how to get rid of a veil. Some of you have read your Bible, you got nothing out of it. Some of you went to church, you got nothing out of it. You're like, why is she crying next to me? And I am, I'm upset. I'm bored. Do you know why they're getting something out of it and you're not? I'm going to explain it to you today. It's very simple. It's called a veil. And the Bible says that when your heart is not believing, that there is a veil in your heart and there is a veil on your head. You ever tried reading a Bible with a towel covering your face? A little tricky. Someone's like, I did it. No, Dino, you haven't. And I'm telling you, it's hard to see God when you have a veil over you. What removes the veil? Great question. Here's the answer. It's found in verse, uh, it's found in verse uh, 16. It says that when you actually believe in Jesus and you turn to him, when you believe and you turn. Well, Mark, I read the Bible. It's not special. You know why you didn't get anything special out of it? Because it only turns on with electricity called faith. And you could have a 95-inch plasma TV and get nothing out of that screen until you plug it into some electricity. Listen to me. The electricity of God's kingdom is faith. I've never seen miracles. You've never had electricity in your house. I've never seen power. You've never had electricity in your house. What would happen if you went to a hut in India or Africa 
and he said, look, guys, you have, the, you have TVs on your walls and you have dishwashers and you have microwaves and you have blenders and you have coffee makers. All of them are in your house, but here's the problem. No one uses them because they don't believe they, they work. They believe that they only used to work, that they no longer work. Someone said long ago that they actually turned on. But here's the problem. Do the appliances work? Yes. What's the problem? There's no power. Faith turns on your spirit. Well, Mark, I don't have any faith. Well, here's the good news. Faith is not a shoe size. Well, I was born with a size 11 and it's never changed. Faith isn't your shoe size. Faith, according to the Bible, can grow. I was born with zero faith and I grew to two faith. And I said, God, I only have too much, I only have two faith. Give me some too much more faith. This is getting grammatically really sound right now. God, give me four faith. Give me six faith. God, I read about a guy in the Bible that had 10 faith. Give me 10 faith. Listen to me, the Bible was not written to taunt you. It wasn't written to discourage you from believing. The Bible was written to get your hopes up. We have entire denominations that build doctrines around why God no longer does that before. Can we stop wasting our faith on explaining why he doesn't? And get hungry and say, maybe God, you still can if I believe. Filament here. I'm telling you that the veil is removed when we turn to God. It says that when you invite the Holy Spirit where he is, there is freedom and there is liberty. Transform people honor the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, I know there's some weird churches in the world. There's some strange churches that are spirit-filled. I've seen the videos, watched the television shows. But make no mistake about it, just because there's some weird spirit-filled Christians does not make the Holy Spirit weird. And the greatest disservice you'll ever do yourself is to talk down on the Holy Spirit. He is the power that could liberate your depressed mind. He is the power that could pull you away from that dark perversion that sexual addiction, that drug abuse, that alcohol substance abuse. It is the Holy Spirit. It says where he is, there is liberty. And quite frankly, there's not much liberty in the church in America because there's not much of the Holy Spirit. If you'll invite the Spirit, you'll experience his liberty. Forgive us, Lord, for grieving you. And it says this, that God's presence transforms us into the same image of God. God's presence transforms us into the image of Jesus. Do you know that our goal is, is not to be like the church down the street? Our goal is to be like the church that's in the Bible. And our goal is not just to be the church in the Bible, our goal is to look like the Jesus that we worship. So here's a really simple rule of thumb. If Jesus isn't into it, I'm not going to be into it either. And if he's into something, I got interested in it. It is a weird thing. Romance is a weird thing. I remember I always avoided the Hallmark Channel. And then I married Rochelle. She'd been married to it her whole life. Found myself watching these Christmas shows that are all the same, just different actors. Exposed a lie right there, my gosh. My wife loves the, this is fine. I have learned to love Hallmark because of the way that my life loves it. Listen to me. It's my love for my wife that's changed my appetite. Christianity just makes you change its rules and regulations. You can't party. You can't do this. You can't do that. Listen to me. It is not rules and regulations. It's romance. It's romance. He's real. He's pure. He's holy. His eyes have fire. He washes me with his presence. He washes my guilt. Gives me courage. So much work to meet with God, Mark. Read your Bible? Really? Write this down. Place, place, time equals presence. Place, time equals presence. Place plus time equals presence. Here's my conviction. If you'll give God a place and a time, he'll show up with his presence. If you're lacking his presence, it's probably because you're lacking either a place or a time. I believe God is summoning his church to a place and to a time. No, Mark, that's what we pay you for. No, it's not. You want to pay me for something? Pay me for your vacation. You pay me for that if you want. I'll go on vacation for you. 
I'll fly across, I'll fly across the Pacific. I'll stay at the Four Seasons for you. I'll go to the pool. I'll get a tan for you. I'll eat all the best meals on your tab. I'll come home. I'll go snorkeling and scuba diving. I'll take my girls down the slides. I'll come back from my trip. Listen, I'll come back because you were too inconvenienced to go. I'll go for you. And I'll tell you all about my trip that you paid for. But I don't think that's the way it works, right? Most of you want to experience your own vacation. Even though it's a bit of a hassle to pack your suitcase. Even though it's a bit of a nuisance to carve a week out of your schedule that you're not making money and you're spending money. It's a little bit of a nuisance. It costs a little bit, but for some reason, you don't want someone else doing that for you. And if you do, you can talk to me. I'll be right out here after the service of you. Romance is so inconvenient. The dating, the love notes, the hand-holding, the kissing. I just need to get a surrogate lover. I need someone else to fall in love with my spouse for me. It's just so much work. But here's the problem. I don't think anybody in this room wants someone else to fall in love with your loved one for you. It takes a little time and energy. You lose your mind sometimes. But the truth is, you would have it no other way except for you to experience it. How about, how about, uh, how about, uh, eating food? So much work to eat. <laughs> all that chewing and all those flavors you're tasting. It'd be great if someone would just chew this for me. I wish someone else would just cook some food, eat the food, chew the food, and I'll just swallow whatever they feed me. Listen to me, church. We're laughing at these illustrations, but here's the truth, is we want other people to go to God on vacation for us. We want to pay someone else to have a trip for us. Tell us about it. We want someone else to fall in love for you. And it's not the way it works. Jesus burns with romance for you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to see your hands lifted. He wants to hear the cries come out of your heart. Are you hearing me today? Why go to church? No, this is your job. We have all access to the Holy of Holies. And it's His presence that changes all of us into His image. No one else can get close to God for you. I felt His heart this week saying, Mark, would you tell my kids that I want my own romance with them? I want my own adventures and vacations with them. And I want them to learn how to feed themselves. You know why I believe many pastors burn out in America? Or many Christians burn out in America? I believe it's because they never learn how to dig their own well. Most pastors just, they just copy other pastors' messages and they podcast. And most Christians, they don't, they don't have a devotional life. They have a podcast life. And all you're ever eating is regurgitated food. You've never dug your own well. I'm, I'm not against podcasts, but man does not live by podcasts alone. Man does not live by church services alone. Are you hearing me, church? God burns to know you intimately. His presence, we make time for it because we, people say, how long do you need? I need enough time for me to tell him what I want to say and for him to say what he wants to say. I tell people to pray until something happens. How long are you supposed to pray? Well, we don't know. Some prayers were short. Lazarus, come forth. That was a prayer. That was a short, powerful prayer. And there was one time that Jesus prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. Some prayers were so long, some prayers were short, but all prayers had a common thread that people prayed until they experienced breakthrough. You spend time with Him. Prayer is not a burden, it's a burden lifter. The presence of God does not weigh you down, it lifts you up. And if you're too busy for God, friends, you're too busy. You better start microwaving your hot pockets. Better start microwaving your Pop-Tarts, come on. Who, who, who microwaves hot Pop-Tarts? People that are too busy. It's a bad illustration. We can't get too busy for God. Can I just get an amen right there? I want to pray for us today. I'm so grateful for what he's doing. Do you realize that six months of your life will be at stoplights? You live a full life, eight months of your life will be spent opening up junk mail. 
a year and a half of your life will be spent looking for lost stuff. That's twice for me and my wife. Three years for us. Five years of us, of our life, will be standing in various lines. Here's my question. Could we at least start giving God some of these places? Some of these times? Could we turn off our phone? Could we get off Facebook and maybe get our face in his book? Could we spend some time just going, God, would you speak to me again? Would you revive me according to your word? Would your presence come on me? I want to glow with your presence. I believe that the greatest deception is going to come in the last times. And the greater, God gave me this verse. I didn't, I didn't share this earlier. gave me this thought. He said, Mark, the greater the deception, the greater the need for intimacy. We live in some deceptive times. And the more deception runs rampant, the more intimacy with God is required. What happens when I don't pray? I'll tell you what happens. Isaiah 52, 3 through 5 says, when you don't pray, you'll sell yourself out to darkness for free. Non-praying Christians will sell themselves to darkness for free. Non-praying Christians, according to Isaiah 52, they'll actually go back to Egypt or they'll stay in bondage. They'll actually taste God's goodness. And if you're not living a prayerful life, it is so easy to return to Egypt. Egypt represents who you were before God rescued you. You'll go back to Egypt. Prayerless people live oppressed. They live heavy. They live weighed down. Some of you are living oppressed right now and you don't know why. It's because you've never experienced the glory of His presence. It says that when we live prayerless lives, Isaiah 52 says that we'll be taken away as slaves. Some of you, you're not a physical slave, I know that. But some of you are a slave to pornography. Some of you are slaves to lying. Some of you are slaves to darkness. Some of you are slaves, I hate being angry, but I can't stop being angry. You're a slave. And you think that God is some second-class lifestyle? Listen to me. I'd rather be a slave to God and live with joy and peace than be a slave of alcohol and drugs and be a slave to darkness. You choose who you're a slave to. I choose God. And by the way, one of the reasons I do is I hate losing. Some of you, I don't know why you like darkness so much. Some of you are like, well, I like, I like the occult. I like crystals. I like Ouija boards. I like witchcraft. It's, it's real, but I'm telling you, it's a second-class power. Do you know the future? You lose, homie. I know who my God is. I know where we're going. My grandma had the bumper sticker. Serving God. Long hours, little pay, low recognition, retirement package, out of this world. That was grandma's bumper sticker. It says when we don't pray that we're taken away as slaves. It says that when we don't pray, the church doesn't pray, the wicked will blaspheme God. But it says this, if my people will begin to pray two things will happen they'll know me and they'll know my power sorry for the Jimmy Fallon finger they'll know me and they'll know my power are you with me today they'll know me and they'll know my power come on say it with me they'll know me and they will I'm asking you today as your pastor if you go to this church if you don't listen to me I'm not your pastor I'm your speaker but if you'll let me be your pastor today I'll say do me a favor this week Give God a time, give God a place, and don't leave until you experience His presence. You read the Bible, read a verse, read two chapters. My pastor always said, Mark, I read a proverb for my head and I read five, I read five chapters of Psalms for my heart. And if you'll read one chapter of Proverbs for your head a day and five chapters out of Psalms a day, you will read through the book of Psalms once a month and Proverbs once a month. You'll grow in wisdom and in passion. Can we, can we commit to God this year, Lord, this will be the year that I'll radiate your glory and be transformed. The world is so jacked up, it's so broken. It's broken because the church isn't being the church. We have to lead the broken into health. We gotta show them what living life well looks like. We're transformed in His presence. Stand to your feet, I feel His presence in this place. I dare you to open up your heart today. I dare you to open up your heart. Listen, God will only fill hearts that are open to Him. You have a hard heart. Your dad died when you were a kid. I, I get it. It hurt. It was painful, traumatic. But listen, God is not the source of your problems. He's the source of your solutions. If you'll open up your heart, He'll fill it. Close your eyes. He's here. We hear your Holy Spirit speaking.
never had an encounter with God, this is the right environment to be in. Someone named Crystal that you work somehow with, with LA and I think even with Hollywood to some degree. You had a heart for God to, to change Hollywood, but it seems like LA has changed your heart. I feel like the Lord today wanted me just to share this for a Crystal that maybe is watching online or in the room. God has actually called you to be a voice. He's actually called you to shine with a light. You've lost your light somewhere along the way. It seems like Sodom and Gomorrah has actually invaded you. And I feel like today God says that I'm casting out the darkness. The oppression's leaving. Light's going to shine in you. And I'm not sure if you live in L.A. right now or not, but I feel like the Lord says if you'll plant yourself here and visit there, you'll have authority when you visit that you don't have when you live. I just pray, Lord, right now for Crystal. I pray for a guy named Bill or Billy. I believe he's involved in, he either is or was involved with construction. And God told me that you, you injured your back on the job. And I saw today that God was healing. I think it was like an L3 or L4, like a vertebrae in your back, your neck. And I pray for you today in the name of Jesus, Bill, Billy. I pray that, Lord, that this next season of your life would no longer be toil and labor on your hands and on your knees. But God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity and a job to sit behind a desk and on a cushion. And I believe that God is going to give you a vocational opportunity through this year that you never would have had had it not been for the storm you've gone through. I'll show you my kindness and my goodness. My provision will overflow you. And I even believe in many ways connections will be made even through this church. Pray blessing over you. I pray for Lord, even now, anyone that needs a touch from heaven, need a physical touch in your body, would you lift your hands today? I saw God even removing scars today. Last night, God said there was people that had lacerations on their bodies for maybe being beaten or wounded, traumatic environments. And God said, as it happens suddenly, I'll heal it suddenly. And I won't just remove the pain in your mind, I'll remove the scar on your body. I believe that God is a God that can heal both. Is there anybody in this tent that believes that? God, you can heal mental and physical scars. Prayed for a young lady in, in uh, the state of Louisiana at a stadium event. I was speaking at a youth camp. Joel Faust was with me about a year ago. And God gave me a word that God was healing someone who's been attacked with a suicidal spirit and it tried to take your life. And God today was not only evicting the spirit, but he was gonna heal you of the memory of it. I heard a scream when I called the word out. And that night, uh, uh, one of the leaders came in to the dinner and said, I have to tell the story. A girl in my cabin shared her story how she tried to commit suicide a month ago. She, she slit her wrist. She had these awful scars on her wrist. And when you prayed that, she said the power of God hit her she felt them throughout her whole body. She looked down and the scars on her wrist were completely gone and her skin was as smooth as a baby's. Man, I would clap a little bit louder. I think God, if he can do it for them, God can do it for us. I take authority today over the spirit of suicide. I command even families that had suicide running down its lines. I command you to leave today and never return. They came to this church to live and not die. You're going to give them a future and a hope. God, you, get, you came to give them life and life more abundantly. I pray that this would be a church that life would preside. The spirit of suicide would die. They say a healthy church is where our sins go to die. We bring the darkness into your light. And I pray, Lord, that everything that's dark would become manifest in your light. We remove the veil. We begin to shine in your presence. Would you wash us? Would you remove the scent that the, that the enemy has been tracking us with in the waters of your presence? As a deer thirst for the water brooks, so our, our soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I pray right now for anyone that's being vexed in their mind. I pray for people that have night tears, panic attacks. Some of you that you've had uh, anxiety disorders. You've had it your entire life. Listen, I'm not against medicine. I'm not against counseling. I think all of that is great, but I'm also not against God. And I pray today for anyone that, if, if we could be honest in Orange County for a minute, I don't care if it's drugs, if it's anxiety, nightmares, night tears. I felt authority today. Suicidal darkness. I just pray, listen, any type of darkness, perversion, I believe in a God that can bend us into his light in a moment. If you'd be honest enough to raise your hands, I believe that God will be good enough to heal you. 
Would you just, in this moment, with eyes closed, no one's looking around. Don't look around. No one likes that guy. Don't look around. I want you to lift your hands if you say, Mark, I need a touch from heaven. I need God to evict darkness that's in my soul. Maybe it's not even directly in you, but it's been in your family. And you say, Mark, I don't want that to, to affect my kids or my grandkids. This giant taunted me. I don't want it to taunt them. Would you kill this giant in my family? Would you just, come on, would you put up honest hands before God today? If there was no hands raised today, I'm telling you that Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. He came to save. He came to, he came to save people that needed a Savior. I dare you to be bold today. Would you put both hands towards heaven if your hand's up? Thank you for being honest today. I, I pray today as their pastor, this is their church, as their shepherd. I come, Lord, not with javelin and sword, but I come in the name of the Lord our God, the commander of heaven's armies. I command every spirit in this tent that's not the Holy Spirit. I command even those that are watching online that are being, Lord, uh, vexed in their mind with perverse thoughts or, or fear or panic attack, worry. I come against the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I command you to loose your grip over God's sons and daughters. I come against that spirit of witchcraft and the spirit that even is, has, uh, uh, has been cohesive with darkness. I even pray, I, I cut ties with parents and grandparents that colluded with darkness. I command that that darkness no longer will reside on these kids. That today we appropriate the blood of the perfect lamb. The lamb that washes away the sins of the world. I pray the blood of Jesus over Ocean's Church. I pray the, the blood to sever, Lord, the spirit of cheating. To, to, to sever the spirit of lying. To sever the spirit, Lord, of deception. I pray that in this moment they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Put our hands on our hearts and we say, Holy Spirit, fill us with your freedom. I pray, just would you pray this all over Ocean's Church today? Would you say, Jesus, I invite your Spirit, who is the Lord, His freedom, His liberty, to cast out any shadow of darkness. Any spirit, that's not the Holy Spirit. I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to leave today, me, my family, and my children. I command, I'm a temple, I'm a tabernacle, I'm a tent, and I'm a bush on fire, where the glory of God presides. I pray you would fill me, Holy Spirit, with glory, presence, that changes me from the inside to the outside. Let your wind blow in me and through me. Wash me, in Jesus' name. You're here, you prayed that prayer, but listen, you know that this is an official moment to get right with God. You've never believed in God, and you feel I'm calling you home today. I'm not asking you to get religion, friend. I'm asking you to allow God to romance you. Romance is better than religion. Romance is when God loves you and His love changes you. If you want to invite God and His romance into your life, if you're here today and you've gotten away from God and you want to rededicate your life, I'm done. I want to pray as we close like this. You say, Mark, I want to reintroduce myself or for the first time engage in opening my heart up to God. I'm asking you to become weird, strange, or religious nut. I'm asking you to say, God, if you're real, move into my life. Show me your love. Show me your light. Transform me. If that's you, every eye closed. Ten people last service. I believe more of this service. Would you raise your hands on the count of three? I'll give you three seconds to raise. You can start raising them now. Thank you. One. I see hand up already. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count. Keep it up. Keep your hands up. Two. More hands are going up. Lots of hands up this service. Would you say, Mark, that's me. I'm giving my life. I'm opening my heart. Three. Would you raise it right now with everybody? Keep it up real high, real high. One, two, three, real high. Four, five, six, real high. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, real high. Thirteen. Come on, keep it up. Thirteen hands. Come on, give them a good hand clap and a shout. Hey! Let's put your hand on your heart all over this tent. Let's pray with those thirteen. If you're watching online right now, I would love it if you just write heart. H-E-A-R-T. I'm living, I've been living, but not for God and with Him. 
I want to invite Jesus to love me. And when he loves me, I want his love to transform me from the inside to the outside. Would you write heart right now? H-E-A-R-T. I'll even let you use an emoji if you want. Just put heart if you're watching online. 13 in the tent. There's two more. Two more. I believe there's two at least right now online. Or there's even one or two more in the tent. You didn't raise your hand, but you're like, I think I was supposed to raise my hand. My heart, if I'm being honest, my heart's pounding out of my chest right now. I think I might have missed the bus. Would you give me another chance? Here's God saying yes, I'll give you another chance. Would you close your eyes for a minute? There's two more people that didn't raise their hand, but they were supposed to. Would you just do me real quick? God, come back. Pull the, pr- pull the bus around one more time. There's one hand. Would you raise your hand? You say, Mark, I didn't raise it, but I was supposed to. Would you put it up right now? One, two, real quick. That's me. Three. One more hand. One more hand. One more hand. Maybe it's online. I know there's two more. So there's 15 in this service. Okay. Cool. All right. Put your hands down. Hey, Oceans, pray for these people. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. You're my Savior. Would you save me from me by filling me with you? I invite your love, your light, and your voice into my life. Kick out everything that's not you and fill me with a heavenly romance in Jesus' name. Prayed that prayer I believe this is the starting line, not the finish line. And you're, you're, you're in a new race that God's going to begin, like electricity, to speak to you as you read this book. I believe if you give him a place and a time, he'll give you what? His presence. Presence is what made Israel different. It's what makes us different. It's his presence. Are you hearing me today? There's great musicians all over the world. There's great speakers all over the world. What makes Oceans unique? It's the presence. You feel it. How many feel his presence today? You feel his presence in here? Come on, just put your hand on your heart, Lord. We just seal this time. Seal this word. I pray, Lord, that you would heal. I pray that you would deliver. I even pray for the, for the gentleman that's struggling with a cocaine addiction. I ask you that, Lord, today would be the day that he gets addicted to new lines. I ask you that you would liberate him in a moment. I pray that you would be, you do something so drastic and so radical for the heroin user, for Lord, the opioid pill popper, that God, today would be such a day of liberation that they would tell their friends weeks from now, they say, man, I, I was able to stop almost cold turkey, and, and, and I can't believe it. I had no withdrawals, I had no headaches, I had no shakes. I pray that you would sovereignly, sovereignly uh, purge people from their drug usage. I just pray freedom in this church. I pray that Oceans be a church known for a cancer-free church. And I pray to be known for a, a church that people get free from their drug addictions. Thank you for healing. Thank you for saving today. In Jesus' name, would you honor with a hand clap? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.